Hi everyone, my name's Steve Tudor and welcome to the Premier League Review Show. It's a show that tries to see the best in people, but that simply isn't possible when it comes to Jurgen Klopp. On today's pod, we're looking back on a bitty professional job at the cottage, lit up by a moment of pure magic, and we'll endeavour to make sense of seven goal thrillers at Selhurst Park and Anfield. We'll also be gearing up for Arsenal v Chelsea, a game that you will have already seen. A hat-trick for Raz, was it? No, we didn't think so. To discuss all this and more, I'm joined as ever by my top flight cohort, Tom Young. Hi Tom, you there? You well? I'm here, I'm well. Good. It's been a couple of weeks since I've done one, I missed out on last week's. Um, so yeah, and, it, and as has been the case for the last few weeks, City are winning, things are looking <laughs> things are looking good, so I always enjoy these podcasts a little bit more when we've got a City win to discuss, and, and yeah, potentially, like you say, the, uh, the listeners will have already seen the result. Maybe even an Arsenal loss may have happened by the time you've heard this. So, fingers crossed, City's position at the top is looking a bit sturdier. Yeah, I would have definitely blamed you if we'd lost to Arsenal, by the way. Not appearing on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> I was, I was, you know what, I was thinking that myself when I didn't do it. I was like, this could be a really bad omen here because we've got <laughs> Arsenal tomorrow. So, But thankfully, yeah, that was fantastic. But I'm sure, you, well, I know you've already discussed that because I've heard the pod. So, we, uh, we'll uh, we'll look at the, the matter at hand with the more recent games, I suppose. Yeah, which is less exciting, but got the job done, got the three points, that's all that mattered. Plus, as I alluded to in the intro, there was a moment of magic, and it was a pretty decent performance. As it was, I would describe it as 7 out of 10s across the board. Um, how did you feel going into the Fulham game? Were you trepidatious in any way, or were you thinking this should be... I mean, I've heard a lot of Blues say beforehand that they kind of thought that Fulham were going to be on the beach. And I don't think they were on the beach. They put in a good show. Um, but were, were you one of them? Were you thinking, oh, we should beat Fulham today? Yeah, I mean, whether or not I, I thought they'd be they'd be completely on the beach, I'm not sure. But I think they might have had, they might have had their bags packed, ready to jump yeah. in the car to drive down to the beach. In that, I looked at the fixtures we've got coming in, in the running, as I'm sure every Manchester City fan has. And when I'm when I'm thinking ahead to him, I'm thinking as much as Everton are a bit rubbish at the minute, a trip to Goodison Park at this stage of the season wouldn't be my preference. I'd sooner be playing these teams that have got less to play for. Yeah. Your likes of your your Fulham's, your Villas, your, your those sorts of teams, rather than your Forest, your, your Everton's. But no, I was I was impressed with Fulham. Who I thought played well, um, and yeah, it was it was a tougher game than I than I expected. Certainly after going ahead after about two or three minutes, I thought. We've got a chance here to get a couple early and and do what we've done the last few weeks and kind of cruise our way through a game and it, it ended up being anything but that it was it was a as tricky a game as I think it could have been as tricky a game as I expected it to be but but ultimately we we got the result that everybody expected and yeah a moment of magic to to get there as well. Um, when it was two one and it was two one for the majority of the game and particularly in the second half. Did you feel nervous about a possible Fulham equaliser? Because, you know, anything could happen, a set-piece, you know, a breakaway. It can just happen in a flash. I've got to say, I wasn't, and I don't know why. It just never felt like they were going to equalise. Um, I remember loads of games in that, that running in 18-19 where we were 1-0 up or 2-1 up, and I was just a bag of nerves for the last 20 minutes. This wasn't one of those occasions for me. Um, was that the same for you, or, or were, you, were you nervous for an equaliser? I was never. I never really. I mean, I was always nervous of the prospect of them yeah. potentially scoring, but I never sat there watching the game thinking they really look like they're gonna they're gonna grab one here. And I saw Fulham's uh, Twitter at the end of the game. They put something like 
deserved more or something like yeah. that with a picture yeah. of the full-time score. And I thought, no, you didn't. You didn't deserve. More. Yes, you, yes, he played well. I was impressed. There was a, there was a few a few players, Robinson particularly, who really impressed me. And I thought they they look a solid team, and they've looked a solid team all season. Marco Silva's done a fantastic job there. But I don't think there's many people who'd watch that game and, and think anything other than a City win was was kind of the correct result. I know we weren't at our sort of clinical best in front of goal, but you think back to kind of the big moments in the game and Grealish had a hat full of chances himself. And yeah, I just think we, we always, I always felt as comfortable as I could without, with obviously the niggling worry of it's only a one goal lead. I was never really sweating on anything other than a City win. Um, you mentioned Robinson there. Um, he, he consistently impresses me. Uh, he's been linked with City. I don't think there's a, a blue out there who'd be, you know, disappointed if we signed him. I mean, not least the fact that he's, he's an established left-back. Would he, for you, be good enough to be a first-team starter for City on a week-by-week basis? I think it's it's difficult because I think, certainly, if you're looking at him comparatively to where a Gomez is at this point, you think Robinson clearly yeah. you'd have him over Gomez in terms of someone if you needed someone to come in and play week in week out but the it's the way which Pep plays football you just we don't need a left back at the moment it's not we've got Ake who is a left back but isn't a left back but he's a centre back but he can also play left back and you think if if we needed a left back to come in and play a 38 game season Robinson is I wouldn't be opposed to it, but I just feel like it's that, that lack of sort of experience at the top level, which always is a worry. Um, but as far as what I've seen from him, there's, there's nothing to suggest. I don't think that he couldn't come in and, and do a job at City if we were to sign him. But I'd see him more in that Gomez role, but playing more football than Gomez plays just because he naturally looks a yeah. stronger defender and more, more able to come in and, and, and fit that role. But... I, I don't see Pep going out and signing a, a left-back in the summer if things continue as they are doing because the way in which the team's evolved again, like we keep doing year on year, we just change it a little bit. We had Cancelo in that inverted role last year, which is now changed to a, to John Stones and a bit more defensive. And Pep tweaks things a lot. Obviously, that's why we stay on the top because when we're at the top, Pep's always making these changes and making sure people don't know what's to come from City. So, mm. yeah, I don't think we need a left-back. If Robinson was available, we could get him. To, he'd be a great addition to the squad. I don't see him as being someone who'd come in and become a first-team regular, certainly not over the course of the next couple of years anyway. Well, I mean, if report goes, for the likely cold days will look to not so much get a like-for-like, like, more um, of a left-sided defender. So yeah. maybe not so much a left-back, but a centre-back who can, very much like Nathan Ake, um, which I know Laporte can do. In, in one-on-ones, he's you know down that left flank. But there is a certain weakness there, whereas Ake is superb in one-on-ones. So maybe you know more of a kind of a replica of Nathan Ake is is the likely assigning rather than as you say a kind of all-out attacking left back. But I would love to see him at City. I, I I just really rate the lad, and and every single time I see him, I'm impressed by him, um, which surely says something, you know. Um, Okay, before we move on from the game itself, um, a, a moment of absolute quality by Alvarez. How much has he impressed you this season? And can he become an important player for City? Because, you know, understandably people are saying he may always be an understudy to Haaland, but they're not identical players, are they? They can play together. Yeah, 100%. I think if it wasn't for Haaland 
being the, the freak of nature that he is in terms of his, mm. his goal-scoring numbers. I think you look at this season from Alvarez, even if you take away all of Haaland's goals and just give the, the exact same numbers that Alvarez has currently got as a starter, and you still look at that as an impressive first season in the Premier League for someone who's come from from a different continent, from a different, completely different style of football. The numbers he's put up as a, as a rotation player, I'd have been happy with as a starter for, for someone who's so young and, mm. and new to the league. So... Yeah, he's fantastic. He's he's a very different player to Haaland. I think the the thought of him, people have touted it on Twitter as as a potential thing, and I don't think it's an an immediate thought process. But he looks like people have said, could it could this be our long term De Bruyne replacement? He looks so comfortable sitting deeper. He's so com- he's so comfortable on the ball, and his passing is so much better than I ever thought it was from from the limited sort of clips I'd seen of him before he came and. Yeah, he's he's an unbelievable footballer, and sitting just a little bit little bit off Haaland works fantastically. And and yeah, he's he's going to be a huge player for City if he, if he if he chooses to stay here through throughout the bulk of his career. And and yeah, he's fantastic. That goal at the weekend was unbelievable. Yeah. To 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 get himself in a position to even get the shot off was impressive enough because he's got three or four men around him. But then to to rip it in the top corner like he did was was just so impressive. I I couldn't believe it, but then I kind of could believe it because he's just a really really good footballer. And the fact that he's our backup striker per se, and as far as I'm concerned, I think he'd start for every club in the Premier League apart from maybe probably prob- well apart from Spurs with Harry Kane. And maybe at a, a Porsche Arsenal with Jesus, I think he starts up front for every other team in the Premier League. Maybe maybe Tony at Brentford would would be a tough one as well. But that that's our backup striker. It's unbelievable how good he is. Yeah, that's an interesting thought actually. Yeah, who he'd start for and who he'd really really improve. I mean, dear God, Everton needs someone like Alvarez yeah. right now. Um, he's like you know more pay on steroids, isn't he? Um, yeah. The, the one I think for me would be, and they, they were linked with him, apparently they tried to get him on loan when we signed him, would be Brighton, who I think the only thing they lack at the minute is just Welbeck's done well and Undav hasn't really got going like they'd hoped he would. But if they had a Julian Alvarez leading the line alongside the players they've got around him, they'd be unbelievable. Mm. And yeah, he's just, he's just a fantastic, fantastic footballer. Well, absolutely. Um, and let's hope he starts on Wednesday. Because um, I... I said on the, on the podcast earlier this week, I always get a tingle of excitement when I see his name on the team sheet. Um, I always like to see him start. And I also said as well, I really raved about how he strikes the ball. And the only other player I've done that to uh, on the podcast this season is Kevin De Bruyne. So, yeah, there must be something in that too. The fact that both of them are such clean strikers of a football. Um, but let's get to the Hammers game. Are you expecting many changes to the lineup? I think there'll be there'll be the obvious rotation. Um, I, I don't think we'll we'll see wholesale changes because I don't really think we need to. Because as much as it was a trickier game in terms of the result, I don't think we really ever got out of kind of first or second gear against Fulham. We 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 kind of the game didn't really warrant it. So I feel like we'll we'll see the natural rotations. We may see a fold and come back in. I'd be I'd be surprised, but also wouldn't be surprised because. He's a fantastic footballer, of course. He's a fantastic footballer. He's just not found his way back in because we've been playing so well in recent weeks. But yeah, I'd like to see Alvarez start again. I think we see Haaland start again. It looks unlikely that De Bruyne's going to be fit. Um, so yeah, uh, I know Ake's been back in training. It'd be nice to see him back on the bench. I don't think he'll be in a position to start. But yeah, I think... I think. Keep things ticking. 
yeah. Um, West Ham, for me, have, have improved of late. Um, they haven't been sensational. There's no dramatic turnaround, but they have started to pick up results here and there. But they were torn to ribbons at the back against Palace at the weekend. Um, that's got to be an encouraging sign, hasn't it? I mean, the fact that... And they're without Zuma as well, so that's a big plus. Yeah, um, yeah Zuma's been... Well, Zuma is the most experienced sort of Premier League centre-half, and he is obviously a, a big part of their back line, and he's got that physical nature to kind of go head-to-head with Haaland as much as anyone can. Um, yeah, he's, he's a big miss, and I agree with you. They've been they've kind of looked now what I expected them to look like at the start of the season, yeah. and that I didn't think they'd pull up any trees, but I just thought they'd be a consistent side. Uh, they're we've been helped they've also been helped or we've been helped going into the game by the fact that results around them have kind of been beneficial to Everton uh, to West Ham sorry and that Everton and Leicester both dropped points last night obviously Leeds took a heavy beating at the weekend and they they kind of look in a position now where it'd take a miracle from everyone else and an absolute disaster from West Ham for them to go down so they've got they'll have one eye on the fact that they've got the Conference League semi-finals coming up and yeah I think the game which on paper if things have been a bit different might have been a bit sketchy with West Ham needing a result looks a little bit easier now that, that West Ham look like they'll be uh, they'll be in the clear yeah I did a West Ham podcast earlier today and, and the hammer in question was telling me he was kind of detailing what would be required for West Ham to go down um, you know he was essentially saying they just need one maybe two results from now till the end of the season because Otherwise, it would need at least two teams from Leeds, Leicester, Everton to just win all their games. And and the way they're playing, they're, they're looking abysmal. So he was confident of them staying up. He was also saying that a lot of West Ham fans are seeing this game as this essentially is their game in hand. And it has been their game in hand for some time. So they've kind of just thought, no, we're going to lose Lose it yet? Yeah. So they've in their in their heads when whenever they've looked at the league table, they've just added on a game essentially. Um, but maybe that's a bad thing for us. The fact that they're just going into it, seeing it's a free hit, uh, that can be a danger in itself. Um, when you look back at the weekend, Palace four, West Ham three. Would you say that was an exhibition of attacking football? I mean, it was certainly entertaining, but. Was it also a carnival of poor defending? I mean, my God, both defences just look so... I mean, Palace, to concede three set pieces, <laughs> yeah. all, all of a similar kind of nature as yeah. well, that's that's kind of unforgivable. Um, so was it for you really a, an example of just bad defending for 90 minutes? I think, pro, I think like you say, that there was elements of, of impressive attacking football... three balls into the box. I mean, yes, the good deliveries, the good set pieces, but like you say, you just can't be conceding three set pieces all in, all in the same game. So, yeah, I think more more edge, more weighted, sorry, towards poor defending, but the credit where it's due, there was it was just a very enjoyable watch. It was two mm. teams who both kind kind but guarantees them safety if it's not already guaranteed um, and for West Ham obviously they'd have preferred a result but it's not the end of the world losing um, but yeah defensively <laughs> not fantastic um, What have you made of Roy Hodgson going all gung-ho in his vintage when he's 77 years old he's played conservative football for the bulk of his, his managerial career and suddenly he's basically unleashed 
all his attacking talents and and just letting them let rip. I mean, it's it's kind of brilliant to see, really. Thanks for listening to the first 15 minutes of the show. To listen to the full podcast and all our contents, including reviews, previews, analysis, quizzes and much more, go to 9320.com to sign up now or simply click the link in the description. So what are you waiting for? Go to 9320.com now for the best, most passionate, impartial coverage of Manchester City and beyond.